Welcome to He That Hath Ears, Listen Podcast. My name is Dave Krupa, a Christian and student of the Bible. Each episode, I will share lessons I learned from God's Word to help on the Christian journey in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time exploring the Bible with me today. Now, let's listen. Next Sunday, my middle daughter, Nicole, is getting married. Congratulations, Nicole and Steve. With that event in the future, got me thinking a lot about marriage and particularly what God has joined together. God has given us so many things in this world to marvel at. He's given us the stars, the moon, sunsets, majestic mountains, vast seas, glorious rainbows. The list could go on and on. Yet two of the most marvelous things he has given us is in the form of relationships. The one is the union between a man and a woman, which we call marriage. And the other is the union between Christ and his church, which is also referred to as a marriage. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Romans 7 and 4 These are God's two great institutions. The amazing thing is that the two are intermingled one with the other. The characteristics and principles used to obtain success in one are the same used to obtain success in the other. Let's first look at the characteristics. In my study, I've named five. The first one. The two shall become as one. Ephesians 5:31 through 33 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Paul is quoting a scripture from Genesis, but using it in reference to the relationship between Christ and his church. He also says in 2 Corinthians 13 and 11, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, Be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. In a marriage, this usually results in some conflict. You have two individual people, each with their own ideas, with their own goals, with their own likes and dislikes, and now they're supposed to act as one. There are bound to be some differences of opinions. The same is true of the church, except now we have more than two people involved. The second characteristic is growth. Commitment is another characteristic of these relationships, as is sacrifice and love. These last four characteristics, growth, commitment, sacrifice, and love, 
are what help us achieve the first characteristic, the two shall become as one. According to the 2018 stats, we have a marriage rate in the U.S. of 6.5 per 1,000 of population and a divorce rate of 2.9 per 1,000, which means our divorce rate is about 45%. What makes some marriages last and others don't? What makes the church grow and last? There is only one answer. God is the center of both the unions. Jesus said in Matthew 19 and 6, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's look at what the Bible has to teach us on these two great institutions. First, we have seen from Romans 7 and 4 that when a person obeys the gospel, he is married to Christ. Paul speaks of Christ as the head and the church as his body in Ephesians 5, 22-25. He also suggests that wives are to be in subjection to their husbands, and the church, as the bride of Christ, is to be in subjection to Christ. Sometimes members of the church, just as partners in marriage, leave their first love. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Revelations 2 and 4 To prevent this, we must constantly be rekindling our love. In order to rekindle our love, we must first understand why we would leave it in the first place. Experts tell us that in marriage, there are five steps that lead to the decline of it. The first step is romance. Remember how in love you were when you were trying to win your spouse? You both tried to please each other. The same is true when we become Christians. We want to tell others about Christ and His church. We want to attend every service and learn as much as we can. It's new and we're very, very excited. Next comes reality, which is the next phase. After the honeymoon, reality tends to set in. You find the precious creature you married is just an ordinary human being that differs from you in other ways than just being the opposite gender. Things like how the toothpaste gets squeezed, how fishing and hunting and sports are not as important as shopping. Of course, the wife finds the husband has some habits he didn't quite express when they were courting as well. After we have been in the church for a while, we see that everyone is not perfect. Of course, we aren't either. People don't have their lessons ready. Songs are not sung the way we like them to be. People don't pay attention during service. Remembers just do things that you think they shouldn't be doing. The next phase is rut. In marriage, we get used to each other. We start taking one another for granted. We stop trying to please the other and start pleasing ourselves. In our marriage to Christ, we have the same problem. We go to services, but only go through the motions rather than worshiping. We go to service to see what we can get out of it, rather than to see what we can put into it. We get excited about fights and fusses, 
but don't show much interest in our duty or doing for others. This leads to the next phase, resentment. This is probably the most dangerous phase. Soon one begins to resent the other because they have changed and no longer act the way they did when we first got married. This oftentimes shows up as negative statements made about the other in front of other people. The two start drifting apart. It's as if they are strangers living under the same roof. The same thing happens in our marriage to Christ. We begin to pick on and pout about every little thing. We begin to gripe about the lessons not being very interesting. We gripe about the direction we are taking or not taking. We gripe about how much we have to do. This then leads to the final phase, which is revenge. Here the marriage goes on one of several directions. The couple realizes what's happening and revitalizes their marriage. Or the couple lives under the same roof but they actually live separate lives. Or unfortunately, they divorce. The same thing happens in one's marriage to Christ. He or she begins finding excuses to not be involved, or begins looking for an excuse to quit, or realizes what is happening and decides to revitalize. How do we revitalize our marriage? Therefore remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Revelations 2 and 5 The first step is to remember. Remember what you did to win your spouse, and why. In our spiritual marriage, we need to remember what Jesus did for us. We need to remember who we are, what we are, and where we want to go. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3 and 14 Repent. The word means to change your mind and go in a different direction. In our marriage, we must return to doing what we did when we first won our spouse. John told the bride of Christ to return to your first love. To stay in love with Christ, we must refocus our attention. What are our priorities in our marriage to Jesus? What are our priorities in our marriage to our spouse? We need to verbalize our love. We need to say positive things to one another and to others about our marriages. Begin bragging about the Lord and how great it is to be married to Him. We need to demonstrate our affections. In our marriages, we need to learn what the other needs and wants. In our marriage to Christ, we must have brotherly love, as described in Matthew chapter 25. And perhaps we need to revitalize the adventure in our marriages, we need to get out of the boredom. In the church, we need to get back into the activities of doing the Lord's will. And finally, we need to live in unity. Paul told the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14-22, through 22, 
We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. He also went on to tell the church at Ephesus, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4 and 29. As we mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 states, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Just as one needs to rekindle the marriage by doing these things, so we need to revitalize our marriage to Christ by doing our part. The characteristics of success are the same for both marriages. One mind, commitment, growth, sacrifice, love, and above all, God. We must always remember, God has given us two great institutions. Marriage, which is the oldest institution, and the church, the marriage to his son Jesus, which is the newer institution. But in both those two institutions, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. If you found this podcast enjoyable, share the link with someone you 